Hey everyone, welcome back for season three of the Age Sister podcast. This season, we're going to keep exploring the issues around midlife and older women at work. So let's get started with today's guest. Hey everyone, I've got Janice Goldmintz on the show today. Janice is going to be talking to us all about navigating the challenges of having aging parents or relatives to care for. She gave all sorts of great tips and information, and I think this is an episode you're not going to want to miss, so enjoy. And welcome, Janice. Thanks. Really nice to be with you, Kate. It's great to have you here. I think this topic is so important. Um, Our listeners, I know, have all sorts of questions probably about the the information that we're going to be sharing today. But I think I want to start off as I always do and just ask you how you came to doing the work that you're doing today. So I think it really happened when I was young. My grandmother was uh, in a nursing home, in a real nursing home, um, when she was about my age now, which is kind of scary when I think about it. And I remember going there and thinking, this is not some place that I would want my parent to live in. Uh, People were lined up in the hall, in their wheelchairs, not engaging in life. And I didn't see a lot of quality of life. And I think in the back of my mind, I said, I am hoping there's something that I can do so that my parents do not have to do this. And then I never really thought about it again. Um, Fast forward many, many, many years, I had gone to school for business and started working with a geriatrician in Buffalo, New York. And I was helping him do health fairs, and I became very interested in what he was doing and ended up going back to school to get a degree in gerontology. And that's really what it was. It was that thought in the back of my mind and watching this doctor take care of his older patients with such care and respect that I thought, yeah, this is what I want to be doing. Do you think those conditions have changed since the time that you saw your grandmother like that? I'm going to say, unfortunately, no. I've actually gone back to the exact same facility and it has not changed in 45 years. I think that's probably why a lot of women especially end up being what we call informal caregivers. And we know at least here in Canada that two thirds of our informal caregivers, and that of course means unpaid, are women. And a lot of women in midlife. One thing I notice about this is that, and especially even for myself, this isn't something that we put into our plans, into our life plans. We may think about having kids, we may have plans around how we're gonna manage daycare, but very few women plan around caring for elderly parents. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe tell us about how we might plan a little bit better? I would say you're very much um, on point there. We don't think about it. The only time I think people have any thought about it is if they did it uh, seeing their parents, seeing their mothers usually take care of their grandmother. The other thing is that people are living much longer. So four generations now is not unusual at all. So you have the great grandparent, the grandparents, the parents and the kids. And so that 
capacity to have to care for your parents or your grandparents is much more likely now than it ever has been. And we don't plan for it. We don't. And one of the things that stops us is having those uncomfortable conversations to say, I see things changing. Or the parent says, I think I'm not as capable. And sitting down with the family in some useful way to say, we need to start planning for the future. We just don't do it. And there's cultural bar uh, barriers. There's um, the hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, which is what I really think is what it is. If I don't talk about it, it's not real. And, you know, as children of aging parents, we want to think of our parents in the way we always thought of them as competent and they're our parents. And am I overstepping my boundary if I initiate this conversation? And then on the other side, you have the parents who are saying, um, I'm the parent. I, I don't want to look needy to my children. I don't want a role reversal. I need to still be the parent. And it, it can cause hesitation for families to get together. Do you think there's a value in having that conversation before things start to change? And if so, are there places where women can go to get some support for that, to understand how to navigate that really difficult conversation? I think pre-planning is always better being proactive than reactive. I believe you don't want to be in a situation where a health issue has arisen and you've never talked about what somebody's wants or needs might be. And then all of a sudden you are up against a wall and you have to have these uncomfortable conversations. So I would say definitely if you can do this in advance, have your powers of attorney, have your living wills, all of those conversations, nowhere um, you know, bank accounts are lawyer, accountant, all of that in advance. Because if, you know, something should occur, you want to be able to know what to do easily. In terms of going for resources, there's a lot on the internet that will give you conversation topics uh, to have. I'm also, if people contact me, I'm more than happy to direct you to some of these resources so that you can have, I don't want to say a script, but at least some talking points so that you know what you might want to have covered um, to have a really useful conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of women, probably even myself included, I had caregiving responsibilities for um, older parents. I think it has this enormous impact on your life, your career, what's going on with your family, where you choose to live. Yes. And sometimes there's an unequal distribution between siblings. How do you get your siblings on board to help with your parents? So I think the thing you have to focus on is what is the end goal? It's not about me, it's not about you, it's not about your brother or sister, it's about your parent or loved one, whoever it is. And what is it you want for them? And what is it that everybody can do to make that goal a reality? There are just some people who are not going to be good with hands-on caregiving. It's just the reality of it. And some people are really good at organizing so they can do appointments and research and that's what their genius is. So let them do it. Let them do what they're good at. Um, 
you know, there's there's sibling rivalries. Oh, mom likes you best, so you're gonna be the one that's gonna get the power of attorneys and how do I get my say in there? That's when you need to sit down as a family and look at that end goal and, and come to terms with the fact that everybody can contribute and not just siblings. You can have grandchildren and even if the grandchildren are young, picking up the phone to grandma or granddad and saying, hey, how are you? That's part of the caregiving. Um, teenagers can come and visit. Teenagers can go and shovel driveways, uh, cut grass, do things for their grandparents to help their parents with the caregiving, depending on the level that's needed. So it can be a very large family inclusive activity. And, you know, if there are things where you feel that it is an uneven balance, you have to be able to speak up and say, look, this is what I'm capable of. This is what I'm not capable of. I need respite. I need to go away for two weeks. Somebody needs to step in or whatever that might look like for you. Or we need to hire somebody because none of us has the capability or we don't live in the same geography or we need to hire a geriatric case manager. Whatever that is, there are solutions in most situations. Mm. How do you handle it if a parent or a relative, whoever you're uh, doing care for, decides that you're the person they like the best to take care of them? How do you manage that? Well, most times people actually, the kids like that, but um, it's not them that has the problem, it's the siblings that have the problem. When you're doing powers of attorney and you've got, let's say, three kids and only one of them has the power of attorney or is the executor on the will or whatever the situation is, it can cause people to feel badly. And I think that's a conversation, again, the family needs to have with the parents or loved ones to say, I, I know you trust me in these situations, but I wanna make sure that everybody's voice is heard. So can we do Johnny or Mary or Sally? Or and, if you want everybody's voice, put and in. Um, the only thing with that is you have to make sure that everybody is going to be on side with the same kinds of decisions when you have the and. Uh, at least with the or, it can be anybody in the family that makes the decision. And as long as everybody trusts everybody, is you're good to go. Mm -hmm. Janice, this is maybe a bit of a harder question, but you know, I think a few people have written about this. There's been discussion about this Western way of caring for elders, yeah. that we have a very different mindset and setup around caring for people as they get older. This movement towards, you know, putting people in care, uh, maybe separating them off, not even intentionally, but separating them off from family. Yes. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and maybe what we're doing wrong, what we could do better? So my parents both lived in um, a retirement home and there's the syndrome that I call dump and drop where people like me take their parents to a retirement home, drop them at the door and say bye-bye and think, okay, they're taken care of. Now, 
to some degree they are. You know, they have meals, they have activities, they have socialization. But what I see happening, and it happens to me almost daily because I am a very frequent visitor, is I've literally had residents say to me, would you adopt me because I don't see my children. They don't call, they don't come. And the kids think they've done the right thing, that their parent is being taken care of. But your family connection and obligation or whatever you want to call it doesn't stop at the door of the retirement residence or nursing home or or whatever or even if you have in-home care that person is still not your family you still need to show up and be there as a family member now there are certain cultures where elders are held in very high regard multi-generational families and it is not out of the out of the norm to have multi-generations living in a home and you know very young kids are taking care of their parent of their grandparents the grandparents are taking care of their grandchildren they're taking them to school they're helping them with homework so that the parents can go and do their careers or their lives and know that their children are being taken care of and their parents are being kind of overseen by their own children to make sure that everybody is really uh, being taken care of in a proper way. I don't think that we can culturally change the Western civilization, but there are things for us to learn from those cultures like um, the Asian community and um, East Indian community and um, the African-Canadian, African-American communities where those elders are respected and revered. We can learn from that. Definitely. Absolutely. I'm going to switch gears on you just slightly here. Uh, one thing that I know from friends and colleagues is that a lot of folks are managing relatives and parents who have dementia or Alzheimer's. Yes. And I'm wondering if you can maybe just clarify for us what the difference between those two things. So here's the easiest explanation. Think of dementia as fruit and Alzheimer's as an apple. There are many kinds of dementias. Alzheimer's is one. And Alzheimer's is usually the one that is the one of exclusion because other things are tested for. Vascular dementia is tested for by brain scans. There is something called Lewy body uh, dementia where they find um, little things that are happening in the brain. There's frontal temporal lobe dementia, which again can be seen um, on, on brain scans. So Alzheimer's is really the, the diagnosis of exclusion when they can't see any, I'll say organic visible uh, reason, it's titled Alzheimer's. Mm, that's really helpful. And when you're dealing with a parent who's maybe going downhill, whether it's cognitively or physically, how do you decide what the best living situation is for your parent or for your relative that you're caring for? So in actuality, I am just in the midst of doing a grant called Should I Stay or Should I Go for the Ontario government. And it's exactly that. It is exactly trying to figure out in your situation in your family, what is the best? And it has to do with social supports. Who is there to support the person who is um, in decline? 
what is the financial situation? Because that's huge. There's a lot of difference in cost from being from aging in place to retirement home to specific, I'll say, dementia um, type of uh, facility. Um, what is the trajectory? Is this something that is going to be chronic and slow, or is it something where there's going to be steep declines and then maybe a plateau and a steep decline and a plateau? Do you have a, a feel for what this is going to look like? So all of those things really matter. It matters, do you live in Toronto or do you live in North Bay? The, the variety of services available to you may be very different. Um, you know, w what province do you live in? What government's uh, programs are available to you? How can the government come and assist you? And every province has its own um, programs that are available. So what you have to do is literally take a piece of flip chart paper and say, here's the situation. If I stay at home, here's the costs. You know, here's the benefits, here's the cons. If I move to a facility, here's the costs, here's the benefits, here's the cons. And look at it for your situation. People tend to ask others, well, what did you do? And that's great to get some feedback for what they did. But my, my strongest advice is look at your situation in your family, with your health needs, with your finances. That's such great advice. I do know that a lot of, again, women that I know and probably in my own situation as well, there's this idea of advocating for your parent. And that's yes. always really yes. tough if you're caught up in the emotion of what's going on and maybe you're trying to find housing for that parent or a relative and it's not really up to what you think that they should be in. How do you go about advocating in a way that's meaningful? That is a, an interesting question. Again, some people have the capacity to advocate for their parents. They, they have the questions, they have the assertiveness, they have the idea of what their end game is. And then there are other people, and I don't wanna say necessarily white coat syndrome, but that kind of thing where they're just not comfortable. And my suggestion there is a couple of things. Either you can have somebody as a third party do it, whether it's a healthcare provider speaking on the medical issues for you, whether it's a geriatric case manager or a social worker or somebody else who can take your concerns to whomever it is that needs to go. What I find in uh, retirement residence situations when there's issues, there isn't generally um, a family council person, somebody who is the intermediary between the, the families and the staff. So again, sometimes you need a third person and it could even be a friend of the family or a, um, a lawyer, um, an accountant, um, whoever, who just steps in and says, hey, the family has contacted me. They have these concerns and, they, and you as an outside third party, don't have that emotional attachment and you may be able to get answers more easily. Uh, most hospitals do have patient advocates. So you can, somebody that's hospitalized, there's generally a way of having concerns vo vocalized. 
That's so helpful. And all the things that we've talked about today are just, they're just actionable and helpful. And I think our listeners are really going to love this, but they're probably going to want to know how to find out more about your work. Where would they go? Where would you go? So uh, I have a website, which is Talk About Aging, which is what I do. And you can get me there. It's www.talkaboutaging.com. I have um, a Facebook group called Aging Parents, and it's just a discussion group and topics on a regular basis for people like me who have aging parents and like your listeners. Um, We talk about everything from balancing work and home life to how do you contact the doctor and have those conversations while you're at work. Um, The same for employers who employ people who are in that situation. How do you best help your employees to, you know, have the best work-life balance? I also have um, a Facebook page called Talk About Aging, which is all kinds of topics. It's for the older adults themselves. It's for health professionals. It's for employers. It's for the children of aging parents. All kinds of topics um, for people. And you can always get me by email. It's just Janice at Talk About Aging. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I'll make sure that all of your links and information are in the show notes. And uh, again, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Age Sister podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review the episode on your favorite podcast app. We'll also be posting the show notes and any other important information at www.cardeahealthconsulting.com.